Um, so this morning we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24, and our text is going to be verse 14 through about 18, 19, somewhere in there. Um, but it, it, it is kind of a blessing because I had just spoken at my old high school, so I already had this kind of prepared, and I was working all weekend, so I just had to look things over. So that, that is a blessing this morning. So Joshua 24 and verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us, uh, brought us and our fathers out of the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom uh, we passed." And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this uh, place that we can come and meet as your church. Lord, we know your church is uh, an assembly of people, not a building. Lord, help us uh, to serve you this morning in sincerity and in truth, and that our worship will be genuine and acceptable in your sight. Lord, Help us to live every day of our lives uh, with you and your uh, uh, giving you glory. Uh, help that to be the um, that in the forefront of our minds. That uh, every thought, every action, every word that we speak uh, would be in love and um, would have the direction of giving glory uh, to your Son Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, sending Jesus to die on the cross so that we might have a chance to have life through Him. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can. Uh, we can open here in this free country. Lord, we thank you for that country. We thank you for each and every opportunity that you give to us. It is truly a blessing that we take for granted each and every day. Lord, help us to be grateful. Help us to be thankful. Help us to praise you and all. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just give me the words that you would have your people to hear this morning and that that word might go out and uh, glorify you in everything we do. And if there's one lost here today, that you would uh, place your your hand of healing on them, and save their soul. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua 24, this, this message is kind of a hard pill to swallow once you kind of get into it. Um, it's kind of a, a tough message. It's pretty blunt, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but it's important, and it's very true, and it's, it's one of those things is you kind of have to embrace it, because that's what we're called to do as Christians, right? Um, so kind of this morning, I wrote this little paragraph that's kind of going to outline what we're going to go over this morning, and then kind of some practical applications, and I'll make sure we go through it as we go. So today we want to take a look at the redemptive story uh, of generations of Israelites exposed in their continual idolatrous sins. These sins were challenged by a single dying man leading the charge of repentance. This came with a demand to choose this day whom they would serve. Therefore, or because of that, 
uh, example, we must self-evaluate our lives. We must identify the patterns of our own sin and embrace the same challenge that Joshua gave the Israelites in choosing this day to serve the Lord solely for His glory and for the furtherance of His kingdom. So that's kind of a lot. So we'll, we'll kind of break that down as we go. But I think it's important this morning to understand the surrounding context that is before it and kind of what comes after. And we'll get to the after part later. But right before this, if you read the beginning of uh, Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 13, um, it's actually Joshua gathering up all the people of Israel and they, they basically present themselves before the Lord. It's this big group. Joshua is uh, kind of in his old age and he's He's about to die, and so he gathers all the people together, and he gives them this message from the Lord. I believe it is verse 2, and Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord, and then he goes into the spiel. Um, so they're done wandering in the wilderness. They're in the land of Jericho, the promised land that God had promised them, and so now Joshua, before he dies, wants to leave them with one last message, and he quotes from God, basically repeating all of Israel's history of their forefathers and, and um, all of those that have gone before them and the patterns of their sin and how God has delivered them through so many times. Basically, this is a buildup for what Joshua is going to say later. He shows them all the examples and all the flaws of the previous generation. That way he can make his point even more stronger. He, he explains Abraham uh, and how God made him a great nation. And then, you know, a couple generations later, uh, they're in captivity in Egypt, right? And through that captivity, God ultimately brings them through from plagues. And then, you know, Egypt comes right back after to get them. And then God closes uh, the Red Sea upon the Egyptians that are in pursuit of the Israelites fleeing from Egypt, right? And so it's kind of this, uh, Israel messed up, God deliver them. Israel messed up, God deliver them over and over and over again. It's a cycle that happens so often throughout the scriptures. He talks about deliverance from so many armies and the Amorites. Uh, I believe it's verse, um, let's see, 12 or 11. Uh, Eleven. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jerusites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hands. So all these people that have come against Israel, but God delivers them, right? Each and every time Israel's in a tough, sticky situation, God's like, all right, here we go, pulling you back out, right? God delivers them. It's not Israel's work that all these things are happening. It's God working through the lives of the Israel, His chosen people, and bringing them through these sticky situations that they put themselves into by turning away from God, not trusting God. You can see all of God's works being done to the Israelites in verse 2, 5, 6, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13. It's all throughout this beginning of Joshua 24. Israel has always been the recipient of said good things or God delivering them out of uh, whatever the situation might be, but yet they still turn away from God every time. It, it doesn't take them long, right? It's Yeah, things are going good for a while to revert back to our old ways. You'd think they would learn after a while, right? 
Joshua was not afraid to kind of expose them in their sin. We'll see that in 14 through 18, but they're about to get a rude awakening that I'm not sure that they're exactly ready for, or they say they're ready for, anyway. So now that we've kind of walked through kind of the surrounding context, we can see that there's a continual idolatrous sin that is habitual of the uh, ugh, can't talk the Israelites. Um, and then we kind of get to that part where I talked about Joshua. So who is Joshua, and why is he writing to us? So Joshua is a man inspired by God to write this book, and Joshua is kind of the the next leader after Moses, right? He's kind of like Moses' apprentice for a while. And then when Moses passes on, obviously Moses was not able to enter the promised land because he didn't keep God's commandments. So Joshua was the one who led the people across the Jordan and then ultimately into the promised land. Joshua is called to be the spiritual leader. He's, uh, he's there to basically you know, tend to the needs, the spiritual needs of his people, and to identify issues and to address them fully, right? So he's kind of like, what's a good example? He's kind of like your mom when she's like, they know your patterns, right? They know everything you do, and it's when you're not, you know, you're not supposed to be doing what you're doing, and mom knows, right? It's like you can't, you can't get anything past mom. So Joshua, he's kind of like their mom in a sense, where he knows their patterns and like what what their yeah what their patterns are and you know he's he's not a stranger to the sin and he can see it um through the previous generations as well verse 14 kind of gets to uh Joshua's part so uh, verse 1 through, or I guess 2 through 13 would be God speaking, right? Uh, Joshua is being word of mouth for God. And then now in verse 14, what our text is this morning is um, when Joshua actually takes over and he starts to talking. So God's done talking in verse 13. And then 14, kind of through the rest of the chapter, is um, Joshua speaking to the people now. And he presents this challenge. He kind of makes a hard pivot from history to kind of application. What does this history mean to us? Yeah, history is important, right? But only if it has meaning. You know, you can know every birthday of every president ever, but was he a good president? Who knows, right? I mean, history only does you so good if you can learn from other people's mistakes and whatnot. But he says, therefore, so or because of that. You know, Jason always says you got to go back and see what the therefore is there for. And that's kind of what that history was for. Basically identifying the patterns of the sins and how God has been so good to the Israelites. And then the Israelites haven't done anything for him in return, right? So let's go ahead and read verse 14 um, through 15. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seem evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." 
So first we see fear God and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Service is kind of one of our main purposes here on this earth. You know, everything that we do should be, um, you know, pointing towards Christ. Everything, every action, every word, it should be edifying and it should be pointing straight to Christ. But this is kind of where the, that self-evaluation uh, self part comes in. And you kind of have to ask, your, ask yourself the question. It's like, am I actually being sincere? Am I being genuine in my service? Am I even being in service at all? Am I being an active member of the church? What is the heart posture behind my worship? Am I doing it just out of, uh, this is what we've always done? Are we doing it out of tradition? Are we doing it for mom and dad? Are we, like, why are we actually here? You have to ask yourself that question. So many people that I've listened to, and none of them are specifically spiritual related, but you know, if you really have a passion and a want for something, you ask, your question, you ask yourself the question over and over and over again, why do I do what I do? Because if there's no motivation behind what you're doing, it's pointless, right? There, there's almost no point to it. It's just kind of you're going along through life doing something that doesn't really mean anything to you or anybody else. Worship is the same way. Why do we worship? There's probably a million different answers to that question, and some of them are wrong, some of them are right, but the ultimate one is to give glory to God, right? But how we go about doing that is very important, because if you're not sincere, if you're not genuine, and you're not passionate about it, then people are not going to get it, right? It's just like he's just saying words, right? They're just singing songs, right? I mean, we can sing any song and not be passionate about it, but these are the songs that talk about Jesus and His amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? Don't you want to be passionate about that? Don't you want other people to see that but see God? You have to ask yourself that question each and every time you walk through the front doors. Why am I here? Am I being passionate? Am I being genuine? And am I being loyal to the one who gave everything so that we might have life through him? If our service is not genuine and without love, 1 Corinthians 13 says that we have become as sounding brass, having no meaning. It's just noise, right? If somebody walks into our front, uh, a visitor walks into the front doors and they just see us kind of lacklusterly going about our service and they're just like, what, what is this? Like, this is not... This is boring. It's, it's emotionless, right? It's like, what's, what's the point? We're just here to sit in a pew for a while, punch our time card in, and clock out. That's not the environment that we want to, you know, give off and provide for people, right? We're here to serve the one true God, and if we sit in the pews just stagnant and just kind of going through the motions, whatever, praise God. That's not appealing, and it certainly doesn't praise God if we do that, right? It's a hard thing. So many times we can get semi-comfortable where we're at. We've gone to this church for so long. You know, I, we've gone here, what, 14 years, something like that. And some days it just feels like you're going through the motions. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it really does. But when you get comfortable with where you are spiritually or where you're at, um, at a specific location, 
where you're at um, in a role in the church. If you get comfortable and never progress in anything that you do here at this church, it will not sustain. You cannot get comfortable because when you get comfortable, you get lazy. And when you get lazy, your worship is not genuine. It is not um, sincere. It is not even worship to God at that point. It is a sounding brass. It has to happen every week. Every day for that matter. Then Joshua tells them to put away the gods which their fathers served on the other side of the river, right? Israel's been dealing with idolatry for a very, very, very long time. You can go, go throughout the Old Testament and you can see it over and over and over again, right? It, it like never stops. And I, I don't know why, but this is all part of God's plan. But he says to put them away, right? These, these gods, they're not even gods. They're not even real. It's just a statue that you waste your time with. But when you have a God through throughout history has shown you over and over and over again how good he's been to you and how he's taken your fathers from where they were to being enslaved to now they're free and now you're in the promised land that I have given you. Amen. And here you are serving false gods. Why? Imagine how God feels, right? He's done everything that he possibly can for the Israelites, and he's just getting it spat right back at them. It's almost like, yeah, I don't really care, whatever. It's just, I mean, it's okay. This land's all right. But, you know, we kind of like it back in Egypt. You know, we had three meals a day. You know, it was great. And then you get in the wilderness, and all we get to eat is manna. Be lucky you're alive, right? You had Egyptians chasing you. You got to walk through a sea on dry land. That doesn't just happen, folks. I tried it one time. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I can't walk on water or anything like that. But it's the same thing over and over and over again. God brings them out. But they, it seems like they just don't even see it, right? They turn back again and again and again and again. But it's interesting. It's so easy to, to blame the Israelites and be like, oh man, they were some real bad people. Look at your own life, right? Haven't we done the same? One of the, you know, people kind of have this stigma about Paul, right? He was kind of, you know, one of the great apostles, but he killed Christians, like literally killed Christians. And then he became this person who was a great um, great leader for the faith, and he helped so many churches, he wrote so many books, but even he understands that he has his own sins, and that he was in a place where he was persecuting the church of Christ, but he doesn't just, you know, live with that, right? He does something about it. He turned from what he was, but he still understands where he came from. He says, a sinner of whom I am chief, right? You cannot forget where you've come from, right? We have the same tendencies as Israel does to turn away, it might not be to idols, but back to sin. Our old sin nature tries to take over, and we do the same thing, and we have the same patterns as Israel does, right? God brings us out of a hard time in life. It might not be fighting people in war, but maybe it's a mental battle, right, that you're fighting inside, or maybe it's a, a, a habitual sin that you can't shake, right? It's the same thing we ourselves turn away from God. So we can't just 
overlook Israel's and be like, oh yeah, those were some terrible people. Look at your own life. I'm half preaching this message for me. I really like verse 15 because it really shows the leadership skills that Joshua possessed in being a, you know, that person that God has called him to be and being, you know, the spiritual leader of this people. And he's, he kind of just stands up and, you know, he, he leads the charge in what he's asking these people to do. Verse 15, And if it seem evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a certain urgency about this that I think is really important, right? Because we don't know when our last day is going to be. It could be a couple hours from now. It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be 20 years. Who knows, right? But there's an urgency about it. It's choose this day whom you will serve. Not tomorrow, not next week, right now. Judgment is coming eventually, right? And if we don't choose today, we might not have time. You have to choose this day whom you will serve. This isn't just a message to the Israelites for this time. This is practical right now. Unsaved, believer, uh, unsaved people, like this, this is serious. We have no clue when the world is going to end, when Jesus is coming back, or when we're going to die. Do you want to be ready? Is God going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you? Seriously, ask yourself the question. What will God say when you come face to face with his judgment? Let me tell you, you want to be on the well done, my good and faithful servant side, because hell is a real place. And I can't even imagine what it's like. But I don't want to see anybody end up there. And that's why it's so urgent. You have to choose. You have to. I love Joshua's leadership character. He, he kind of stands right up. He's like, yeah, I'll be the first. You know, me and my house will serve the Lord. Yeah. Who's with me, right? Who's, who's going to go with me? Who's going to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth? I'll be the first to say, and I'll bring y'all with me, right? I don't think it should be any different here. I hope that for every single person in here, that they can say that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? My parents have done a fantastic job raising our household, and that was always the number one thing, is that we're going to serve God, right? This is a house that we're going to... Uh, show our kids the love of Christ and we're going to show them Jesus and we're going to continually bring them to church and we've reaped the benefits or at least I have. Thank you, Mom. Love you. It's been great. It's been a blessing. But I need that, we need that to be in every household here, right? If we don't take a, a, you know, a hold of all of our household and say we're going to serve the Lord, then that house is going to fail. Right? I think it's interesting what the Israelites say next because it's kind of typical Israel, right? It's kind of typical us if I really think about it. 
Verse 16, so the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, for the Lord our God is he who brought us, uh, us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out uh, from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We, will all, uh, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Right? When somebody calls you out, it's really easy to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'll, I'll get that taken care of right, 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 right away, right? It's so easy when it's presented right there in front of you. You see all this history, and Israel's like, yeah, God brought our fathers out of Egypt. Yeah, we're going to serve him, right? It's so easy when you're exposed because you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to be like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, he just called all of us out. Like, that's not cool, right? So Israel all bands together, and they're like, yeah, we're going to serve God, right? It seems so easy, but if we look through um, kind of some scripture, I think of Peter. Peter said the same thing. When, God, or when Jesus told him he would deny, him, uh, deny Jesus three times, Peter said, there's no way, right? There's no possible way. I'm ready to go to the cross with you, right? What did he do? He's standing around the campfire. Somebody asked him, are you a disciple of Jesus? No, 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 no. That, that's not me, right? It's so easy, right, when somebody calls you out for it. But you have to be a man of your word, right? Or a woman. I think that's probably the hardest thing, to be honest with you. Because Israel kind of did that same pattern over and over again. And for a time, they would serve God and be like, yeah, we, we want to serve God. But they weren't men and women of the word. And I see that in our lives, too. It's so, so easy to do, so hard to prevent. Right. I think um, the Christian rapper NF says it very well in his song called "Oh Lord," and uh, this is part of his uh, one of his verses. And it says, "You see, the same God that we're saying might not even exist becomes real to us, but only when we're dying in bed. When you're healthy, it's like we don't really care for Him. Then leave me alone, God. I'll call you when I need you again." I pray that that's none of us, to be honest with you. I mean, may we not be people that only talk and interact and read God's Word when we need something from Him, right? This should be a daily, continual, genuine, sincere worship each and every day and not just, hey, God, I'm in a tough spot. I I need some help, right? It's tough because when we're in a tough spot, there's so much pain there that you want out of it so fast, but in the good times, you don't really need him. Not true. Not true at all. Pride comes before a fall, right? If we say we only need God when we need something from him, it's not going to work out so well. You know, in our own lives, we see so many incredible things that happen to us or to close family members or to people we see on the internet, and it's so um, kind of easy um, for us to, you know, feel peace, and we say, thank you, God, right? We say, thank you for all the things you've done for us in this incredible way that you've worked in my life, but for how long do we keep saying thank you, right? How long? 
you sleep, you kind of forget about it. Then the next day, you're right back to doing the same old thing, and you sin continually over and over and over again. For how long do we stay thankful for, right? That's another thing that we all have to work on. After all that God has done for mankind and ourselves individually, don't you think he would deserve a little praise? He sent his one and only son to live a a miserable life here on earth where people mocked him, and they scorned him, they spat at him, and they crowned him with a crown of thorns, and they hung him up on a cross publicly for everybody to see, this is who you call Jesus, right? He didn't have to do anything. We're the ones that messed up, right? So after all of that, don't you think God deserves something in return? We couldn't live the perfect life so Jesus had so that we might have life through him. And now our goal is to glorify him in everything that we do. But do we do it? Probably not. It doesn't mean you can't try. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. That doesn't mean you shouldn't walk every day of your life fighting to give God all the glory that you possibly can and point others to Christ so that they might have that same experience that you had of saving faith through Jesus Christ that gives them a hope and a future. You have to be the representation. We are the body of Christ. In the next verses, Joshua makes a covenant with the people as a way to kind of keep them accountable, right? It's like, you, you said what you're going to say, and he, he, kind of, he kind of banters with them for a little bit, basically like, hey guys, this is like serious. You can't just like say this and be like, oh no, uh, a couple days later, change my mind. We're not going to do that, right? So he makes a covenant with them as a visual representation. Every time they walk, he made an altar and all this. And he kind of, he made that as a visible representation so that they can be reminded of the covenant they made, that they are going to serve the Lord each and every day. I think this is a great thing. But we see later, as Joshua dies in the the latter part of this chapter, that all the people that... um, that were still alive through the time of Joshua and some of the elders passed, they did serve the Lord, right? But then you flip over uh, just a couple pages in Judges uh, 2, verse 11, and they're right back to it, right? And then God puts them into captivity. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. It doesn't take long, right? It doesn't take long. So now I kind of want to get into some of the practical applications that we can take from this because we can identify the patterns of Israel, but we have to self-identify with ourselves and find our patterns, right? So I'm going to read that little portion that I read earlier. Therefore, or because of that example, we must self-evaluate our lives. We must identify the patterns of our own sin and embrace the same challenge that Joshua gave to the Israelites in choosing this day to serve the, serve the Lord solely for his glory and for the furtherance of it. Uh, his kingdom. Now it's our turn, right? We can understand and take this text and we can see the example of all the failures of the Israelites and we can see some of their success, some of their failures, and we can learn from their mistakes, right? Um, But we have to self-evaluate ourselves and, you know, where am I supposed to be? What am I doing to serve Christ in all that I do? How are we stacking up compared to God. God lived the perfect life, right? And 
we all know we can't live a perfect life, but we have to strive for it each and every day. We can learn so much from the, uh, the mistakes and identify habits and problems, but if we do not attempt to fix them, then we are just rejecting the very thing Jesus tells us to do. We can identify problems all day long, but unless you do something about it, unless action is taken, nothing's going to happen, right? If my car breaks down and I'm like, hmm, I know that my fuel pump's bad, I'm just going to keep driving. You think it's going to work? Probably not, Right? So we can identify the problem, but there must be action taken in order to see progress. And honestly, that's the hardest part, unfortunately, right? But it must be done, right? We kind of have to ask ourselves, when are we going to wake up and answer the call? When? It's not a matter of how or where, but when, right? Because it's always going to be there, and unless you deal with it, it'll continue to be there forever. And then your life's wasted away. You have to make the decision and join Joshua and say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve God. I hope we can all say the same. May we live out Romans 1.16 and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation that we did not deserve but as Ephesians 2.4-6 says, but, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Do those words mean anything to you? Or is it just sounding brass? I hope they do, because they mean a lot to me, right? Jesus gave his all so that we could have another chance. We messed up, and God brought us through the miry clay, right? With his wonderful grace. He didn't have to do anything. He gave us everything. We turned our back against him, and yet he's still here making intercession for us each and every day. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. As sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. I quote that almost every time I preach because that, that song or those verses, they stick with me because it shows us that you know Jesus did everything for us and now we have to be servants for him and do everything in return. Look to the cross this morning. It's all right there. Guys, he's the only one that can save you. Because if I could save you, everybody in the world will be saved right now. But I can't. You have to decide for yourself right now whom you're going to serve. My prayer is that this will move uh, me and you to action. Uh, that we can uh, uh, be a leader here in this community and our communities outside here. And we can go out saying that we are going to serve God and bring others along for his glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom.